Well, thank you, Angie. And I was rooting for Purdue the whole time. So. <clears throat> Boiler up. So, um, as you can see the screen, my name is Kyle Stork. Um, I am here with my better half, Lacey Stork. Uh, and we've been going to Livingstones for about three years. And I just want to say to all of you, thank you. To all of the staff, to all of the leadership, thank you for making us feel like family. And just the love and support that you have uh, for me to get up here and share my heart and to hear your different stories and, and how God is working through you is, is wonderful. And there's great things happening here at LSC. And so I, I pray that you can continue to be a part of that and continue to be a part of what God has uh, for the South Side. So on that note, um, I want to uh, get started this morning by showing a picture. Uh, does anyone out there know what this is? What is it? Petra. See, this is what happens when you participate. I apologize if I hit you. All right. So, it's not really law. Right. But it's actually one of the seven wonders of the new world. There's two, uh, two different lists. There's the seven wonders of the ancient world, and then there's the seven wonders of the new world. And some of those seven wonders of the new world would include uh, the Wall of China, uh, the Jesus statue in Brazil, um, uh, Petra, the Great Pyramid of Giza, and uh, Chichen Itzu in Mexico. Uh, but those are some of the, and you can see all of them on the screen here, but uh, these are just beautiful landmarks that when you go to them and you get to experience and see them in person, they're just, they leave you breathless and speechless. And you realize you are just in the presence of God's glorious creation and what he has designed on this earth. And it's just so beautiful and amazing. And I'm here today to share with you an eighth one that was just determined right now. Uh, and, and so, uh, again, I, I got preface, to preface this. Let's calm down. I got to preface this with uh, I have been a, an LSC Packer fan way before Pat was ever here. Okay? So I have, I have the right to speak on this this morning. Uh, but so if... Many of you know, uh, put that hat away. My wife is a big Bears fan, uh, so I guess you should be up here. Um, but we, we make it work with love. So anyways, um, Lambeau Field, if, if you don't know what this glorious creation is, Lambeau Field, it's located in Green Bay, Wisconsin, only five to six hours from here. Go see it. It'll change your life. I promise. Um, it's one of the oldest stadiums in the NFL. Uh, it was built in 1957. It's uh, named after the 
uh, one of the co-founders of the Packers. His name's Curly Lambeau. Uh, it seats over 72,000 people. So when you go and watch a game, uh, you experience uh, 72,000 people, and it's sold out every game. Um, the scoreboards there are 40 feet high and more than 152 feet long. Massive scoreboards. Uh, so when you go to a game like me and you can't afford to sit on the field, you can still see what's happening. But they, and they also uh, added these new lights um, within the last decade or so that uh, just illuminates this luscious green field where you can just smell the grass from your seat. And then you hear the, the chanting of the crowd and the smell of the cheese curds, and you just get this awesome experience that is worth more than words can describe. And so, if you don't like them or not, we've all had those types of experiences where we've gone to this beautiful stadium, we've gone to uh, a beautiful landmark like Mount Rushmore, or we've uh, experienced something like Yellowstone National Forest out on the West Coast, and we just stand there, and we're just in amazement of what God created. And we just kind of get this sense of his presence there and the, and the glorious uh, wonderment of what God created. And so... Even when you don't go to a game at Green Bay and you're just driving past on the highway, it's just, it calls you. It's something inside of you that says, I want to get off the highway and go experience that stadium because it's the best in the NFL. And there's nothing that will compare. I could say that because I own part of the team. So uh, I had my hand in everything that was built there. If you don't know, that is not true. <laughs> so, um, just, a, just a little fun, but those, again, those experiences are guaranteed to provide us a glorious, enriching, life-altering experience. Something that we will take with us the rest of our lives, that we will remember. And so, this month, we're talking about the series When Pigs Fly. And it's about looking through the Gospels on the different miracles that Jesus performed on earth. And if you were here last week, Pat spoke on uh, the soldier's son who brought and, and said that he is suffering from a demon-possessed, uh, he's being demon-possessed and, and suffering and uh, foaming at the mouth and uh, all these different types of things. And so he brings them to Jesus, and Jesus heals, heals him. And so he says, uh, and he's looking at Jesus, the miracle of Jesus in his ministry on earth. That's what the message is. And he spoke on faith that honors God. It was a great start um, to the series. But today I, I want to focus on um, 
the glory of God in his miracles. The glory of God. And I want to define that quickly um, from what I have read through the book of John. So if you read through the book of John and all the miracles, uh, it explains a lot. It has this phrase, Jesus says to God, let your glory be done in this miracle. And so for me, it's simply these three words, just being in God's presence. The glory of God is his presence. We know that our God is all-powerful, all-knowledgeable, and always present. So the glory of God is found in his presence. If we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us go in to the presence of God, feel his glory with freedom, knowing that we have been saved and that the glory of God is unmatched and undefined. It's for it's indescribable, something we cannot even realize in our own minds, the gloriousness of God. And it's true throughout the whole Bible. Being in the presence of God or being in the presence of someone else. Like, I, lo I love to be in the presence of my uh, grandfather. He, he was a mentor toward, to me. He was somebody that I looked up to um, and, and somebody that I took a lot of life lessons from. But I was, all, I was in his presence every moment that I could get, and I learned a lot about who he was and how he did things and why he did things. And the same is true with God. If we want to magnify God's glory, we need to be willing to spend some time with him. Be in his presence, whether that's in prayer or reflection time in the morning or attending a Christian rock or Christian rap concert where you're jumping around for two hours straight praising God. His glory is in all of it. And we learn to figure out who God is and his presence by capturing the character of God. And that's different for all of us. Some, some of us find God to be our protector. Some of us find God to be our redeemer. Some of us find the glory of God simply by reading through the scriptures and seeing all of the powerful things that he has done and leaving us in this state of just speechlessness. And so I want to turn to the Old Testament first. In This is in Exodus uh, chapter 40, 
verses 34 through 35, the Lord is instructing Moses and the Israelites on building the tabernacle and building uh, a table and building a lampshade, a lampstand, excuse me, uh, and probably maybe a lampshade for the lampstand. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, right? And, it, and if you read about it, it's this pure gold, this priceless object. And then we come to verse 34 through 35 after all that's been built. And then it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled this most holiest of places. And not even Moses could see it. And we read about that again with the prophet Isaiah coming in with an encounter with God and his gloriousness and it could not be seen face to face. And then we get to the New Testament, the New Covenant, right? God's glory is about to be revealed through human form. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we go to the book of Luke, where it's talking about this Savior that's coming to the earth. And it's Luke 2, verse 9. It says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. They didn't know what this was. They're just shepherds, the lowliest of people. But God's glory showed up in magnificence. And they were astonished by what they were seeing to a point of being terrified. And then you see, as we're preaching on this series... God's glory being shown through all of his ministry on earth. His three and a half years of walking and talking and preaching and acting as God would and God's gloriousness on this earth. And then we get to the end of Jesus' life and Jesus is still speaking of God's glory, of his presence here on earth. And so we go to John chapter 17, verse 5. And it says, and now, and this is, this is God praying, um, excuse me, this is Jesus praying to God right before he is arrested and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And we're going to unpack that prayer again at the end of this message today. But I just want you to see that God's glory has been before the world even began. And then throughout Scripture and even now, God's presence is here amongst us. His gloriousness, His all-powerful, all-knowing 
all-present, marvelous, selfless character of God is present today. Amen? And so I want to get to the Scripture passage today and the miracle that we're uh, going through today. And it's found only in the book of John. And it's John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. That's the whole story. I'm not going to bury you with reading all 45 verses. I encourage you to read it when you get home because the, the story is just full of God's glory. And it's simply, it's, it's Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And we're probably all very familiar with that story and what took place, um, but it, it shows the glory of God. All miracles showed the glory of God. From casting out demons, to healing the sick, to raising the dead, and just simply keeping the party going with water into wine. His glory, God's glory, was shown through Jesus Christ who walked this earth. How powerful is that? I get envious of those 12 disciples who got to spend those three and a half years listening and being in the presence of Jesus and being around that glory the whole time. Man. That is powerful. And so I'm going to read for you today uh, the first part of this uh, Lazarus raised from to dead. Ah, not raised to dead. Raised to life. Excuse me. Raised to life. I'm going to read the first part of it. And then I'm going to read the last part uh, of the story. And, and I'll tie in uh, some of my points through the middle so we can get a better uh, perception of, of what the story entailed. But again, I encourage you to go home and, and really dive into the, the story. Um, so we start with John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the same Mary who poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair in the very next chapter. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, the one you love is very sick. But when Jesus had heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God. I, Son of God, will receive glory from this. Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days and did not go to them. So he stayed where he was. But that's not the end of the story. And we go to chapter... And we go all the way to the end of the story 
John 11, verse 40 through 45. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You will you always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of those people standing here, so they believe you sent me. They believe that the glory of God is good. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus came out, bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. The glory of God was evident, raising Lazarus, who was physically dead, to life. And so that brings me to my, my first point that I want to make today. The glory of God is, off, is not often revealed in our time. Pat spoke a little bit about this uh, last week on how we all have these miracles in our lives that we want settled or answered within this specific time frame that we have. And we're not allowing to let go of that control and allow God's glory to come in and answer that miracle in the time he has for us. God's glory is not often revealed in our time. And we look at John chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, which I had just read. It says, But when Jesus heard about it, when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the glory of God. I, the Son of God, will receive this, <coughs> excuse me, receive this glory. Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days and not go to them. Finally, after two days, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. So Mary and Martha had sent this message to Jesus saying, Lazarus was very sick and he's going to die. He's on his deathbed. So I would if I was sending a, a note or a letter all right, through Pony Express or whatever, to, to Jesus saying, or, or to someone who, had, who was a dear friend of, of a person that was dying, hey, this person is dying, so if you want, you need to come and pay your respects to this person because they're dying and you won't get that chance ever again. I had that, I had that experience when, uh, again, my grandpa that I was talking about earlier was in hospice uh, and dying. And I had the chance to go and be with him in his final days. But Jesus, with Lazarus, said, I understand he's, he's sick and he's, and he's going to die, but you're going to have to wait. I'm not going to come right now. I'll be there. He promises that I'll be there. I'm just not going to be there right now. 
And so when we come to Jesus with our requests like Mary and Martha, they're not guaranteed to be answered in a specific time. But I promise you this, they will be answered in a specific way. If you bring your cares to God, he cares for you so much, he's going to give you that answer. Whether it's hours, days, weeks, months, years from now, the glory of God will shine through. His presence will be in that situation if you believe and continue to hold on to God's promise. Jesus waited simply because it was to be done in the time of God's glory. He could have easily healed Lazarus right then and there. Look at all the other miracles that he performed. Get up, walk. He put sand over someone's eyes and they could see. He did it instantly. It proves that Jesus could have proved Jesus could have performed this miracle in an instant when he was sick. But he said, no, God's glory is going to be shown even brighter by raising Lazarus from death to life. What is a greater miracle than that? Except one of my dear friends this week, pointed out to me, a greater miracle than that would be saving two people from dead to life. And I was like, well said. I couldn't, uh, you know who you are. And so God's timing isn't always our timing. But I want you to know this. And this brings up the second point that we have. God's glory is built on the foundation of love. His presence is built on the foundation of love. We look at John chapter 11, verse 35. And you guys can memorize this and take it home with you. Okay? Then Jesus wept. That's it. That's the verse. Then Jesus wept. So he got to Bethany. Lazarus had died. He got to Bethany. He was around all of these people. If you don't know, Bethany is uh, very close proximity to Jerusalem, just east. And so there was a ton of people that came to comfort Mary and Martha, to be there in their mourning and the loss of their brother. And again, Jesus knew he was going to be there it was his dear friend, the one whom he loved. He was going to be there. It just wasn't in his timing. And so Jesus wept. Now, he wept because he was around all these mourning people. He was around loss. It's a human loss. Don't forget that Jesus was human. He had humanistic characteristics like we all do. And I love this verse. It had so much meaning because it shows the glory of God and his presence in human 
form. God cares for you. He loves you so much that he weeps when we are dead inside. He weeps for us. Jesus wept. It's one of the very few instances that Jesus reveals true humanistic emotion. Jesus wept. Jesus was probably also just sitting there full of different kinds of emotions. If you read throughout the story, just like in all the other miracles, you have these Jewish uh, leaders or you know, different people that are around him singing these miraculous things that don't give him credit for what he's doing or are being very uh, cynical of, well, why didn't you heal Lazarus? You, you should have done that. He shouldn't have even died. And so God is filled with anger or frustration. But you know what? Even if Jesus was sitting there weeping with tears from love or frustration, it's all built in the foundation of love. He loves us unconditionally. Lazarus didn't die because he had some sin that caused him to die, right? He, didn't, he wasn't a bad person, so he res, received a bad thing. I wouldn't say he, he was all of a good person and received all, all good things. We read about that, and if you followed in the book of The Good and Beautiful God, right? Jesus changes our narrative on that. It's not about what we, what we do does not have a, a necessarily a, a consequence. It's all founded in love, in God's love. His glory is rooted in love. But that's, death was not the end of this story. Death was not the end of this story. God's glory brings us back to life. God's glory can bring us back to life. And that can mean physically, as I was talking to Randy between services, man, how does this resonate with him? He can bring us back to life physically. But more importantly, he can bring us back to life spiritually. That even though we may be, we may feel we are in the darkest of days at this very moment, God's presence, if we're willing to see his presence in that situation, the glory of God in that situation, he will bring us back to life. And that life empowers us, encourages us, invites us to experience a power that cannot be contained or matched. In the dark, we stumble around trying to find the light, but the glory of God is our guiding light. 
if we believe in him, if we have the faith in God to believe. He brought death to life through Lazarus. And then we all know the story of Jesus and what he had to go through at the very end of his life, through his persecution, to be raised from the dead for all of our sins so that we could walk freely and experience God's glory freely in our own lives. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore, until he decides to come back and to show us his glory again. So, we read in, in The Good and Beautiful God, uh, in, in chapter 7, there's a, a beautiful quote uh, that says, Though they tried to kill him in shame, the cross stands for all eternity, a symbol of the glory of God. The glory of God brings us back to life. And so in John chapter 17, I'm going back to the prayer that Jesus had to read a little bit more of what he said to his father the day before he arrested, knowing he was going to be persecuted physically beyond what you and I will ever experience. He knew God's presence was in that moment. And so he continued forward, even though he could have stopped it at any time. Because he knew the greater glory of God's purpose would be revealed when he came back to life. And the same was true with Lazarus. He could have healed him, but he said, no, God has a better timing, has a greater love that can bring the death dead back to life. And so we read John 17, 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he looked up to, he to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone in all the earth. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here. I was the seen presence of God's glory. And now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. God's glory was shown from death to life. And so in conclusion... I want you to think about one thing this week. When was the last time you were able to experience the true presence of God, the glory of God in your own life? Or are you such, in such turmoil and darkness that you have no way of finding the light? Because God's love is unconditional. He will love you no matter what. And that's not just 
you all here. That's everyone. And it's a big responsibility for us to make sure they know that. That God's glory is all around us. So don't forget, we serve a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present. God's love is always waiting on us. We just need to come to him with open arms and receive that glory and be okay with it not being in our time. Be present in the presence of the Lord in his ultimate glory. It could be the difference between life and death. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that were spoken today. We thank you for your glory, for your presence on this earth. Before even the world began, your great glory was evident. But you chose to create us, to show us the true meaning of the glory of God, from bringing us back from death to life from allowing Lazarus to be raised out of that tomb and to go on spreading the ministry of your love. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, to be in, this, in your presence, to be in your gloriousness through worship. So Father, we thank you so much. and We honor you. And we pray that we can spend more time with you this week just to get a glimpse of your great glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. One of the great symbols of God's presence through Jesus is his death and resurrection like I was speaking about earlier, bringing death to life. And each week we have the opportunity to come here and participate as a body of Christ to remember the body of Christ and what he did for us and how he sacrificed. And so right now we take the bread and eat it and remember the pain and suffering that Jesus Christ went through so that the glory of God may be revealed throughout eternity. And then we take the juice that represents his blood that was spilled so that we could come into the presence of God with clean and pure hearts and acknowledge him in every way how great our God is Heavenly Father we thank you so much for this time in our service that we can come and worship you by taking the blood, the bread and the, and the juice and remember the great glory you gave to us so long ago. God, we're so blessed. We should be thankful 
for everything that you have provided for us. And we love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.